Let's pray. We'll ask God to help us. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us this morning to understand your word and uh, to respond rightly to our magnificent Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, there are some things that it is better to do on your own, by yourself, with no one else with you. I like to lie in my bed and read books. And when I'm reading, I like myself to be, uh, I like to let myself be, be carried away by the story. I focus all my attention on the book, I get carried along with it. Now, I'm perfectly happy for my wife, Carmelina, or for one of my children to, to lie with me in, in bed and, and to read their own books. But the reality is, it doesn't always work. I'll be lying in bed, reading my book. Carmelina will be lying next to me, looking at her telephone. For a moment, there will be silence. But then, while I'm in the middle of a sentence, some key point in the book, I'll hear, Did you know Fred Jones's wife has cancer? I stop reading. Beg your pardon? Fred Jones. Who's Fred Jones? Don't you remember that bloke you met once 40 years ago? No. <laughs> well, his wife has cancer. Oh, poor Fred. That's sad. Get back to my book. Of course, I have to go back to the beginning of the paragraph to pick up the train of thought. Silence for a moment. Tim Keller has an interesting blog here about coffee. I look up from my book. I beg your pardon? There's a blog here by Tim Keller about coffee. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Thanks. Back to the start of the paragraph. Again. Silence for a moment. Then. Have you seen this video of a kitten doing a somersault? <laughs> I stop reading again. I beg your pardon? This video, it's so cute, you have to watch it. With some things, it's better to do it on your own. I find the same with uh, watching TV. Uh, I'll be watching a movie. Now, I know I'm a little bit OCD about it, but when I watch a movie, I like to see everything and hear every word. I like to focus my entire attention on the movie, catch up on all the subtleties. Uh, my son Joshua is with me on this. In fact, Joshua has a great idea. He insists that we have English subtitles even when the movie is in English. So he can be sure he doesn't miss a word. I can relate entirely with that. But, but with everyone else in my family, as they watch a movie, they call it watching a movie, they're hardly concentrating at all. At the same time as the TV is on, they're looking at their phone or their iPad or their laptop or something like that. And so every now and then, in the middle of the film, they'll look up. What did he say? They'll ask. I turn from the movie. I beg your pardon. <laughs> what did he say? He said the butler was the murderer. Oh, okay. And, and, and what's happening now? I don't know what's happening now. I'm missing it because I'm answering your question. <laughs> um, with some things, it's better to do it on your own. When I'm writing a sermon, I hate being disturbed. 
Uh, I have to hold a whole heap of ideas in my head at the same time, try and get them all into a simple order. If I get interrupted, it throws me out completely. I lose 15, 20 minutes. I have to sit in my study, preferably before anyone else even arrives, by myself. With some things, it's better to do it on your own. But there are some things that you don't want to do on your own. Uh, last, week, I, uh, last, year, I, um, last year, I spent a week uh, chaperoning some kids after they finished their HSC, trying to keep them alive for, uh, um, after their HSC. Uh, they didn't really want me to be with them. I was cramping their style. And so I often found myself on my own. Uh, one night, uh, I went to the Anabay Hotel by myself. I ordered fish and chips and a beer, my one beer for the year, and I then sat in the beer garden by myself and ate my dinner. I didn't like it. No one to talk to. Uh, families around would make sure that their children didn't go there, the strange man who was sitting by himself. Uh, really quite uncomfortable. I had to ring Carmel and just even pretend that somebody loves me and knows me. You know? <laughs> um, uh, one, one night I went, went to a restaurant, a Thai restaurant, uh, by myself. I, I can't remember ever another time that, I, that I've done that. Again, I sat all by myself. Even the waitress didn't want to talk to me. It was so depressing. Uh, one day I went for a swim at the beach by myself. Uh, as I was out in the water, I thought, if I get carried away by a rip here, no one will ever know what happened to me. I'll be like Harold Holt or something like that. There are some things in life that it's better not to do on your own. It's better to do it, have someone else with you. In this next section of the book of Hebrews, the author talks about what it would be like to stand before God on your own. What it would be like to stand before God on your own. He starts off by talking about God's word. In context, he's talking about the Old Testament, Psalm 95, and all these other passages from the Old Testament that he's been talking about. It's not just the Old Testament, though. Do you remember way back, chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, the author said, God has spoken, God God spoke uh, in many times in various ways through the prophets in the Old Testament, but now in these last days, he has spoken by his son. So he's talking about God's word in the Old Testament and also in Jesus. He talks about God's word and he says... He says it's like a sharp sword. It can cut you open. It can reveal exactly what's going on inside you. With God's word, even our thoughts, even our attitudes, even our motivations are exposed and brought before the judgment of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Have a look with me. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, The author moves from God's word to God himself. But the idea is the same. A day is coming when God will judge us. We will have to give account to God for everything we have thought or said or done. 
we will have to give account for all of the wrong that we have done. We'll have to give account for all of the good that we have failed to do. Uh, on that day, there will be nowhere to hide. On that day, there will be no secrets. On that day, everything will be revealed. Verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I don't know about you, I reckon that sounds terrifying. The idea of having to stand before God, having to give account to God, every single thing exposed. Every action, every thought, every word. On your own, that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Uh, but now in this next section, the author has good news. He goes on to tell his readers that they don't have to face God on their own. Uh, they can face God with Jesus by their side as their high priest. Uh, the author says that with Jesus, they can approach God's throne with confidence. Uh, with Jesus, they can come into the presence of God and find grace and mercy instead of judgment. Now, uh, this idea of a high priest comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a temple where God dwelled with his people in a special way. No one was allowed into the presence of God in this temple. But, but God appointed some people as priests and, and the priests, their job was to stay near the temple and to offer animal sacrifices for the people. It was a way of dealing with their sin, enabling them to remain in right relationship with God. Well, the author goes on to talk about how Jesus is our great high priest. But Jesus didn't go into the temple in Jerusalem. No, no, no. Jesus went into the actual presence of God in heaven. Again, the, the author says it's a reason for his readers to hold firmly to Jesus, never to give up on Jesus and go back to Judaism. Verse 14, verse 14, Therefore, that is, given how terrifying it would be to stand before God on your own, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. The author talks more about Jesus as priest. He says that he can empathise with us. He's not cold, he's not distant, he doesn't hate us. No, no, no. Jesus became a man, he suffered, he was tempted, and even though he never sinned, he, he knows what we're going through. And he cares for us. And so the author says, don't go into God's presence on your own. Don't go by yourself. No, no, not now, and certainly not on Judgment Day. No, no. Go with Jesus as your priest. That way you can go with confidence. Because in Jesus there is grace and mercy for sinners in need. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whether that be now or certainly on Judgment Day. Uh, in chapter 5, the author goes on to, to talk more about priests from the Old Testament. 
And he says three things about them. He says, first, uh, they help people in their relationship with God. Second, uh, they can deal gently with sinful people because they know what it is to be weak and sinful themselves. Uh, And then third, they can't just appoint themselves as priests. They have to be called by God. So three things. Uh, Have a look with me. Uh, First point, they help people in their relationship with God, uh, particularly by offering sacrifices. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Uh, Second point, Old Testament priests can relate to sinners because they experience weakness. They're sinners themselves. Verse 2, he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And then third point, Old Testament priests have to be called by God. You can't just decide to be priests. God has to call them. Verse 4. And, and no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, so that's priests in the Old Testament. See the three points? They help you with God, they empathise with sinners, and uh, they have to be called by God. Well, now what the author does, he starts to talk about Jesus, um, but... He shows how Jesus fulfills and surpasses all three of these things about Old Testament priests. He does it in reverse order. So he takes the third point first, then the second, then the first. Uh, So third point. Third point we just saw in verse 4. So priests can't just make themselves priests. They have to be called by God. Well, the author refers now to two Old Testament Psalms, Psalms 2 and 110. And from these he shows that the Messiah, the one who sits at God's right hand, he was called by God to be a priest. Verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, this is Psalm 2, talking about the Messiah, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says, in another place, this is now Psalm 110, talking about the one who sits at God's right hand, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to talk more about Melchizedek in a couple of weeks, chapter 7. Um, But the idea is that God called Jesus to be a priest. He he didn't make himself a priest. Uh, Second, the author deals with the second feature of Old Testament priests. Do you remember uh, back in verses 2 and 3, they can deal gently with sinners because they are themselves sinful. Now with Jesus, it's a bit different. Uh, Jesus never sinned. But even still, the author says he can deal gently with sinners because he knows what it is to be weak. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to struggle to obey God. He knows what it is to to pray to God with desperation and pain. Verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He knows. He can empathise. Like an Old Testament priest, Jesus was called by God. He can deal gently with sinners. And and the author finishes by dealing with the first point about Old Testament priests. Remember the first point back in verse 1? They help people in their relationship with God. Well, the author says Jesus can help people in their relationship with God way better than any Old Testament priest. Uh, Seated at the right hand of God, Jesus can offer his people eternal salvation. Uh, With Jesus, you won't have to face God on your own. With Jesus... You have a great high priest, verse 9. And once made perfect, it's not that he was imperfect before, but once he had completed the task, offering the sacrifice for sins, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. 
and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. As I say, we'll deal with Melchizedek in a couple of weeks. The point is this, though. Jesus fulfills and surpasses all the features of an Old Testament high priest. He was called by God. He can deal gently with sinners. He offers eternal salvation. All right. Can you see what's here then in this passage? First, the author paints a picture of what it would be like to face God on your own. Doesn't look good. On that day, everything will be exposed. No, no secrets. All our thoughts, all our words, all our actions, all the bad things we've done, all the good things we've failed to do, all lay bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Terrifying. But then second, the author shows us that we don't have to face God on our own. We can face God with Jesus, our great high priest, our high priest who who vastly surpasses the high priests of the Old Testament. With Jesus, we can face God with confidence. With Jesus, we can find mercy and grace from God. With Jesus, we can find an eternal salvation rather than judgment. Uh, Many years ago, I, um, I qualified as a lawyer and I had a job at the Land and Environment Court. I remember one day being in court. Uh, we were dealing with a criminal case. Uh, a man was charged with cutting down a tree. Uh, Hornsby Council had brought him to court, brought charges against him. Now, a mate of mine, a guy who I studied with uh, at, uh, at university, he was the solicitor for Hornsby Council. And his case was pretty simple. This bloke owned some land in Hornsby. There used to be a tree on the land. Now the tree was gone and he didn't have any permission to remove the tree. And the man uh, uh, came to court on his own. He didn't have a lawyer to represent him, uh, facing the court on his own. And and to start off with, things were not looking good for him. He was obviously frightened, no idea what was going on. And uh, my friend, he presented the case for the council. He asked the man a series of questions. Uh, Do you own this land? Yes. Was there a tree on the land? Yes. Is the tree now gone? Yes. Did you ask for permission to remove the tree? No. My friend was getting on a roll, starting to feel pretty confident. Uh, This bloke was in big trouble. It came time for him to speak in his defence. He started to kind of shuffle some papers around, but there were no words coming out of his mouth. He had stage fright. Judge looked around the room. The room was full of lawyers waiting around for their case to come up. He said, can someone please help this man? A lawyer put up his hand. Mr Davidson, SC. That stands for Senior Counsel. means he was a high-ranking barrister. Mr Davidson said, I'll help him, Your Honour. Just give me ten minutes with my new client to prepare his defence. Ten minutes later, they came back. And now that the bloke had a barrister by his side, the tables were completely turned. Mr Davidson, SC, started to question my friend. So, what trees does council say are not allowed to be removed? Oh, well, there are certain species of trees uh, that, that are specified in the regulations. They have to be over five metres in height. 
Okay, so I take it you have a botanist's report here stating that uh, this tree was one of the species of trees in the regulations. Uh, no. I take it you have photographic evidence that the tree was above the requisite height. No. I take it you have sworn witness statements of people who saw my client cutting down the tree. No. I take it you have evidence that my client was even in Sydney at the time that the tree was allegedly removed. No. I take it you have weather reports to demonstrate that there were no storms or other events that could have brought the tree down naturally. No. Your Honour Hornsby Council, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Here they are alleging a criminal offence against my client. The standard is that he is innocent before law until proved guilty beyond all reasonable doubt, but their evidence is a shambles. There is no evidence here that my client has done anything except own land in Hornsby Council. Despite the fascist regime that is obviously there, as far as I'm aware, that is not yet a crime. On and on it went with my friend sinking lower and lower into his chair, wishing that the ground would swallow him up. Meanwhile, the smile on the accused man's face just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The judge found him innocent. In fact, the council even ended up having to pay Mr Davidson SC's costs for the day. <laughs> Standing before the judge on his own... The man was in big trouble. But with a senior counsel on his team, suddenly he could face the judge with confidence. Friends, you see the point, don't you? Don't face God on your own. Don't try to come before God by yourself, not now and certainly not on Judgment Day. No, no, friends. Face God with Jesus, our great high priest. Hold on to him. Put your trust in him. Hold firmly to your faith in him and approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness in giving us a high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can approach you and find not judgment but mercy and grace and eternal salvation. Now, Father, would you please so work on us by your spirit that we do hold firmly to our faith in him, that we never let him go, and do please enable us to come before you with confidence both now and in eternity. And we pray it in Jesus' name.